and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello to our listeners right now on uh, Spotify, Anchor FM, um, and some of the other platforms that we're broadcasting on here at Sunshine USA. I also want to announce that starting with this broadcast, um, I'm going to be uh, expanding and diversifying our Bible study uh, effort here on this platform. Uh, for example, on Spotify and Anchor FM, I'm going to be doing both uh, my commentary through the New Testament as well as my commentary through the Old Testament, which we're starting with tonight. And that way, when you tune in to Anchor FM, uh, you'll find that roughly every other broadcast is my commentary going through the New Testament, and every other broadcast is my commentary going through the Old Testament. Now, on Blog Talk Radio, which is the other platform that we use here at Sunshine USA, uh, there I will be doing more of a topical uh, Bible study or ministry platform. In other words, uh, I'll be doing some topical Bible studies on that platform, and I'll also be uh, sharing with our listeners some ideas about ministry, and it should prove itself to be a platform especially uh, of interest uh, to those of you that are going into the gospel ministry or you're already in gospel ministry. Uh, maybe you're wanting some fresh ideas on different ministries that your church can be involved in uh, throughout the year. Uh, one of the things we'll be talking about uh, very soon on the Blog Talk platform is we'll be talking about different ministries that your church can be engaged in for uh, the Christmas season. Since uh, the Christmas season is uh, rapidly uh, coming up, uh, we also know that uh, Thanksgiving is coming up and there are different uh, things that your church can do uh, to help your community during the Thanksgiving season. And this is the kind of stuff from now on that we'll be doing on the uh, Blog Talk platform. Uh, you might say on Spotify and Anchor FM what we're going to be doing is teaching the Bible itself. And then we'll be talking about how we can take what we have learned from our Bible study and put it to use in everyday life situations. And that's where the... Uh, the platform known as Blog Talk Radio comes in. And between these two different platforms, uh, you will have a great help in terms of doing ministry as well as growing in your knowledge of the Word of God. Now, on the broadcast for today, we're going to begin our journey through the Old Testament. Now, those of you that are a long time Listeners uh, know it wasn't too many months ago that we completed our first trip through the Old Testament, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And we're going to begin that process all over again, starting tonight. And uh, one thing I like about the platform that we use on Anchor FM and Spotify is that we have an hour as opposed to 30 minutes on Blog Talk Radio. And when it comes to the actual study of the Word of God, we can do more in-depth study 
and we could do it for a longer period of time. Also, on Anchor FM and Spotify, I can record these broadcasts daytime or nighttime any day of the week. Whereas, of course, on Blog Talk Radio, uh, we can only record programs there between, uh, say, 8 o'clock in the morning and uh, 6 o'clock in the evening, roughly. I forget what the exact hours are, but we don't have access to prime evening time on Blog Talk Radio. So that's another point right there. Uh, So tonight we will begin our study once again through the Old Testament, starting with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, of course, I want to start off by pointing out that the first five books of the Bible, in my opinion, were written by Moses. Moses would be uh, the divinely inspired writer. Now, we know that ultimately God himself is the author of the whole Bible. He is the author of all 66 books in the Bible. But we also know that God had human help. And in the case of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we know that Moses is the divinely inspired author. And so we know that uh, Moses is, like I say, the divinely inspired writer. Now, some Bible scholars question that, uh, especially when it comes to Moses' authorship of Deuteronomy. Uh, Those of you that have studied in the book of Deuteronomy, you know that uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses writes about his own uh, death and burial. And many Bible scholars feel that it would be kind of cruel for God to require Moses to write about his own death and funeral. Now, I don't really think Moses had any problem with that because of a sin that Moses committed, and we'll get into that at the appropriate time, but because of a sin that Moses committed, God said, okay, you and Aaron, Aaron was Moses' assistant, y'all will not be allowed to go into the promised land. So I don't think personally that Moses had any trouble writing about his own uh, personal death and burial. Therefore, I have no problem with Moses writing any part of the first five books of the Bible. You also have to consider Moses was the most qualified uh, writer in this particular case. Uh, Moses was Hebrew, of course, and it makes sense that only a Hebrew could have written what Moses was asked to write. And Moses, by a landslide, was the most highly educated of all the Hebrew writers. You see, we know that Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, and because of that, Moses had access to the finest schools in all the land of Egypt. Uh, He had access to a first-class, world-class education. This is something that none of the other Hebrew people had access to. And obviously we know that whoever wrote the first five books of the Bible 
this person had to be highly educated. And the only one that fits the bill, so to speak, would be this man called Moses. And uh, we have to note the first uh, 10 chapters, 10 or 11 chapters of Moses, are generally regarded as prehistoric. That is, uh, stuff that took place before written history. And so we take note of that. And uh, we have to realize that God told Moses what to write, and Moses faithfully wrote it. We know that in the book of Exodus, for example, God himself wrote down the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone. And, of course, we know that Moses at one point got mad because the Israelites had already started breaking the Ten Commandments. And so Moses took the two tablets of stone that the original Ten Commandments was written on and he dashed them on the ground. And God had to make two more tablets of stone once again displaying the Ten Commandments. The Bible tells us these commandments were written by the finger of God. Now, unlike some of the later writers of the Bible, it was not possible for the most part for Moses to go back and look at secular history because there was no written history during the first 10 or 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And the only way Moses could have wrote what he wrote in the first 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis would be through divine revelation. Now, like I say, we as Christians, especially those of us who consider ourselves to be Christian evangelical uh, Christians, uh, we believe God himself is the author of the Bible. Moses is one of 40-something men that God inspired to help him. But these men were like uh, secretaries. They took dictation from God. I personally believe that except were otherwise noted, Moses and the other writers took verbal dictation from God. Once again, this is my own personal, honest opinion. They took dictation from God. They wrote what God told them to write. Now, you know, it's very interesting to point out that many business leaders today, when they want a letter to be written, they will draft the letter to their secretary or administrative assistant, who in turn will produce a letter dictated to them by their boss. I have a little bit of experience in this area. One time I worked for a Christian-owned employment agency, and I had a, a supervisor who sometimes would uh, compose letters verbally to me that they wanted written and sent out to prospective customers. I would then take that letter and print it up the way my boss told me to do it, and send it out to the various prospective clients that we had. These men, writers of God's word, they took dictation, I believe, from God, because I believe the Bible 
It's verbally inspired. I believe it's the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Now, some people say, well, Warren, you know, that's a pretty conservative stand you're taking. And I know it is, and I intend it to be. That's the way I was brought up. That's the way I've always believed as a Christian. And certainly now that I'm pushing 70 years old, I'm not about to change now. Amen? Amen. So let's uh, come to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. But before we do, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I just want to pray right now that you will be with me as I teach from your word. Lord, I pray that you will give me the words that you would have me to say. Lord, help me to say everything you want me to say. And Lord, help me not to say anything you don't want me to say. Lord, I pray that we as Christians will take what we find in the Word of God and apply it to use in our everyday life. Lord, I pray right now for the needs of our radio audience. I know that there's all kinds of needs out there in our radio audience. We have some with financial needs. Some have a need for healing in their marriage. We have business leaders that are seeking God's leadership and guidance in their business. We have pastors, in some cases, who are struggling with all the various duties they have as pastor of the church. And so, Lord, we pray that you be with all these needs. Lord, we know that with you, there is nothing impossible. Because, God, you are God of the impossible. God, we know that with you, all things are possible. There's nothing that you can't do. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, now, this is where we get into the reading of God's word itself. It says here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's stop there for a minute. Let's take a look at the first four words in that verse. In the beginning God. That's the first four words in the Bible. Now bearing in mind I'm teaching through the King James Version. Uh, the King James Version is what I use in my preaching and in my Bible teaching, it is my version of choice, and it is the only version I read from on this program. So I just thought I would share that with you so you would know for future reference. But when we see these words here, in the beginning, God, we have very powerful words here. It's very interesting to note that here, God does not make any effort of any kind to prove his existence. Now, you know, sometimes I've often thought, you know, if I was God, and I know what a lot of you are thinking, some of you say, well, man, I sure am glad you're not God. And I would fully agree with you. <laughs> uh, I can't begin to tell you some of the things I would do if I were God. But that's why God is God and I'm not. But now I think sometimes if I were God, one of the things I would want to do in my word is to prove to my readers that I exist. But here in the book of Genesis, as is true in all other books of the Bible, 
God makes no effort of any kind to prove his existence. Let me say that again. God makes no effort of any kind to prove his existence. The assumption here is that when you start reading Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the assumption here is that you already believe in God. You already accept God as creator of the heavens and the earth. That's the assumption here. Now, once you accept these first four words of the Bible in the beginning God, then you're not going to have any trouble believing anything else in the Word of God because you've already accepted the first four words of the Bible in the beginning God. Now, like I say, when I read the Bible, I'm not just reading any book. You know, uh, a lot of men down through the years, they've written autobiographies and novels and short stories and poetic books and historical books. I've always been fascinated by writers, especially now that I'm in the process of becoming a writer myself. Having some books published between now and the time that I die, I, I hope <laughs> the Lord gives me many more years to live because I think it will take me several years, if not longer, to write some of the books that I feel led of the Lord to write. But I do know that the Bible is like no other book. Because you see, the Bible is the only book that can legitimately claim God to be the author of the book. So whenever I read the Bible, I'm not reading some man's opinion. I'm not reading some man's ideas. I'm reading, thus saith the Lord. And if I disagree with what's in the Bible, then I'm disagreeing with God, the author of the Bible. But like I say, I accept the first four words of the Bible in the beginning God. So I don't have any trouble believing the rest of it. When I read about how God allowed the children of Israel to cross the Reed Sea, and yes, I do, I mean the Red Sea, I do believe it was the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. You know, when I was growing up, I had a professor that insisted the Israelites cross the Reed Sea. Now, in a way, that sort of made it less miraculous because of the fact that um, the Reed Sea was nowhere near as big or as deep as the Red Sea was, and it seemed not quite so impossible. But my Bible doesn't say Reed Sea or Sea of Reeds. It says Red Sea. So I believe it was the Red Sea that God helped the children of Israel to cross. And then we see that when they were chased by Pharaoh and his army, Pharaoh and his army drowned when the wall of water on either side collapsed on the Egyptian army and drowned them all. That would not have been possible in the Reed Sea because the Reed Sea was basically a swamp. At the most, the waters of the Reed Sea were no more than an inch or two. 
as somebody put it, well, if you believe that, it was an even bigger miracle because the whole Egyptian army died in a one or two inch deep swamp. Now, to me, that's harder to believe than the Bible account of the Israelites crossing on dry land, dry land through the Red Sea. I believe literally whatever the Bible tells me. And I don't have any problem believing that because I've already accepted the first four words of the Bible. When I read about Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and the walls come crashing down, I don't have any trouble believing that. Why? Because I've already accepted the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. When I read about Jesus Christ dying on the cross and three days later rising from the tomb, I don't have any trouble believing that because I've already accepted the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Once you accept the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, you are not going to have any problem believing the rest of what the Bible teaches. It's just not going to happen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, what I think this does is makes it, makes it very clear that God, referring here to the Godhead, created the heavens and the earth. There's no, there's no room here for the theory of evolution. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we read, of course, in the book of John, chapter 1, where Jesus says that he himself was present at the beginning of time. He was present at creation. And that he created the heavens and the earth. Well, of course, we know, theologically speaking, Jesus is part of the Godhead. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they created the heavens and the earth. Once again, there's no room here for the theory of evolution. Now, as we get into verse 2, we come to something very highly interesting. We come into verse 2. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's verse 2. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that we have some Bible scholars who believe in and accept the so-called gap theory. Now, in all honesty, the gap theory is something that I knew nothing about just a couple of years ago. But I remember uh, one of my radio listeners a couple of years ago asked me the question. That in fact, they called me up on the phone and said, hey, Warren, what do you think about the gap theory? And I said, what gap theory? Well, they said, read Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now, they believe that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, this, of course, was part of an overall big rebellion and that there was warfare on earth between God and Satan. And what we see here in verse 2 
is what is remaining after that destructive act of judgment when Satan fell from heaven. Now, personally, I believe those who embrace the gap theory are trying to account for the fact that in science, uh, many scientists believe that the earth is millions or billions, maybe trillions of years old. A lot of that based on carbon dating, which, by the way, is faulty. It's not always accurate. It's not always reliable. But based on carbon dating, many scientists believe that the Earth is millions and billions of years old, if not older than that. Uh, and so some come up with this gap theory, I believe, to try to account for all that time. But as I study the Bible here myself, I have formed the opinion based on my own study that there is no validity to the gap theory. I see no scriptural evidence whatsoever to support it. Now, if you believe in the gap theory and you want to share your ideas with me, then, of course, you can shoot me an email. My email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com, or I have another email address, warrenlandis at gmail.com, and I'll be glad to listen to whatever you have to say. My ears are open. But right now, based on what I know, I don't see any evidence of the so-called gap theory. And also, based on these first two verses, I accept God and God alone, as the creator of the heavens and the earth. I don't take any stock whatsoever in the theory of evolution. Uh, to me, to be honest with you, I think it takes a lot more faith to believe in the so-called theory of evolution than it does to simply accept what the Bible tells us already and that, and that is that God himself alone is creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, as we go through the remainder of chapter 1, as we go through the remainder of Genesis chapter 1, we get an account of what God did during each of the first six days of creation. For example, it says here, And God said, Let the, there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Take a note of that. The evening and the morning were the first day. Now, in our culture today, by the way, we would have said the morning and the evening were the first day. But now to the Hebrew people, the day actually began in the evening. For example, they believed it began at 6 o'clock in the evening. So they say the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, as I read these six days of creation here in Genesis chapter 1, I understand 
these to be six 24-hour periods of time. Now, days four, five, and six, that's pretty easy to understand. Now, for days one, two, and three, it's a little bit more difficult to understand because you see the sun and the moon, which we normally associate with the dividing of night from day, the sun and moon were not created until day four. During days one, two, and three, there was no sun and moon. So how do we have day and night in the first three days of creation? I believe that God himself was the light. And he separated that light from the darkness. Now, in a way, this is theologically very important. We know from the study of biology that without light, life as we know it would not exist. For example, on this earth, if we had darkness 24 hours a day, seven days a week, life as we know it would not exist because of the fact that life cannot exist without light. And when we say that God himself was that light, then, of course, we understand we come to an understanding of the fact that God is the source of life. You and I would not have the life that we have today were it not for God. That's why we believe as Christians that every life is sacred because we view every human being as a unique creation of God. And we have life that would not be possible without light. And ultimately, life with God is not possible without Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the light that provides life for us in a world of darkness. Amen. So what did God create on day one? He created light, and he separated light from darkness. Now we'll notice at the end of each of these days, the Bible tells us and God saw everything he created up to that point, and it was good. And the evening and the morning marked another day. Now, when we get to day two, we see that God created the atmosphere, that is the sky, and it's also called the firmament of heaven. Now this is the sky, of course, that the birds play in and fly in. It's where we see the clouds. We could talk here about the Earth's atmosphere. All of this created on day two. Now, during these first two days of creation, it appears that the earth was almost entirely water. There's no mention of land whatsoever in these first two days of creation. But when we get to day number three, 
when we get to day number three, we see that land appears for the very first time. Land appears. And then when we get to the next day, we find that plant life begins. Actually, plant life begins on day three, just the same day that land appears. This is the trees, grass, etc. So day three, we find that land appears and is created along with plant life, trees, grass, etc. Then we come to day four. Day four, we have the creation of the sun and moon and stars. All of this was created in day four. Whenever you read about these astronauts going into space, whether we talk about the International Space Station, of course, orbiting the Earth, or we talk about now the United States has plans to send astronauts first back to the moon and then on to Mars. All of this was created on day four. And day five, we find that the fish and birds are created. The fish and birds are all created on day five. And then on day six, we have the creation of cattle and animals and ultimately man. But now, you know, it's interesting to talk here about the fact that God created basically everything that man would ever need before he creates man. Think about that. God creates man only after he's already created the heavens and the earth. So he creates everything that man would ever need and then he creates man. This is why you and I should have no trouble believing that God is going to take care of any legitimate need that we have. Because he created all the things that we would ever need before man himself was ever put on this planet. I, I don't know about you, that blesses me to no end. To know that God took care of anything and everything I'd ever need before anything before me or anybody else was created. Now, you know, I point out, and I've pointed out in my ministry over the years many times, that God has never promised in his word that he's going to make us to be a millionaire. God never promises us in his word that he's going to make us to be millionaires. It's never going to happen. But he does promise that he will take care of the legitimate needs that we have. Now, most of us, in the event that we're honest, we would have to say, you know what? 
God has given me so much more than I need. And I thank God for that. Right now, you know, I'm recording this program sitting in the living room of my apartment. And as I look into the living room here, and also as I look next door into my bedroom, I see a lot of nice stuff, not only things that I need, but even a lot of things that are just simply nice that make my life more enjoyable, but I don't really need them. So God has not only, in my case, provided me with anything and everything I could ever need, but he has given me so much more than what I need. He has provided me with so much more than what I need. And I thank God for that. Now, one of the reasons that I believe that it's not necessary for God to make me a millionaire is because, you see, I accept the fact that when I die, I can't take anything with me. <laughs> when I die, I cannot take anything with me. It's all left behind. I, I remember hearing one time about a uh, a TV preacher, they were trying to interview him, interview him on television. And, of course, the gist of this um, particular um, reporter was that this preacher was in it for the money. He was just simply a money-grabbing preacher. And finally, at the end of the interview, he said, Yes, I'll admit it. I am in it for the money. He says, because I'm going to heaven, and by golly, I'm not going to go to heaven broke. Well, you see, he displays his spiritual and biblical uh, his spiritual and biblical ignorance at that point. Because you see, if he knew his Bible, he would know that he can't take anything to heaven with him materially. Any houses that he owns, any cars, any real estate, any businesses, any stocks or bonds or savings accounts, none of it goes to heaven with you. Absolutely zilch. Nada. You'll go to heaven flat broke or you won't go to heaven at all. Amen. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Man, I tell you. And, of course, it's like I told someone the other day. The older I get, the older I get, the more I realize that money is not nearly as important as I used to think it was. Because, you see, every day that I live, I become aware of the fact I'm just that much closer to the day. When God calls me to heaven and I go to my heavenly home, I move into my heavenly mansion in my new glorified body. I'm closer to that day now than ever before. And when I think about how grand and glorious that is, anything else on this earth pales by comparison. That's why if I come to your church to preach, 
it's not necessary for you to pay me. Because I already basically have enough money to live on if I just budget it right. Now, if you have a church, for example, in uh, Montana or California, and you want me to come to your church, I'll be glad to do that. Now, I would probably expect you to pay my expenses coming out there and back, but I would be glad to come without requiring you to take up a love offering to pay me uh, a gratuity for coming. I don't need a salary. That's one of the great benefits I have being retired. And that's why uh, I could go to a lot of churches and preach for a lot less money than what you would have to pay other preachers. I mean, some preachers, if you ask them to come to your church, they want thousands of dollars up front in advance, and I don't require any such thing. All I ask is that when I get there, you take care of my expenses. Now, that includes transportation, lodging, meals, etc. But I don't need a paycheck for coming. Amen. And I'm just sharing with you my honest-to-goodness heart here. I was talking preliminarily to a prospective publisher just this past week. And I said, you know, I, I just want to publish some books here that I can make available to the listeners of my radio program, Sunshine USA. And for me, it's not necessary that I make any, any money on these books. I just want to charge enough so that I can cover the cost of printing these books. I wish I could print books and give them away free of charge to my listening audience. Unfortunately, I cannot afford to do that. But I can sell these books at cost so that I personally make no income from it. And that is my intention at this point. And I'll let you know as these books are published, uh, these are books that I can print myself, and I can print them as I need them. I don't have to print hundreds and thousands at a time, which is a great savings for both me and the publisher. Amen. But be praying about this uh, printing ministry that I feel like the Lord is uh, leading me into. Um, be praying as I prayerfully consider how to expand this ministry. I'm in the process of asking certain people to serve on a board of directors so that we can formally incorporate. And this will allow the ministry to carry on even after my time has come and gone, if the Lord tarries. And it will also allow the board to take care of the administrative ends of the ministry. And I can use whatever remains of my days on this earth to actually do the ministry. Amen? Amen. Um, for some time now, I've gotten letters and emails and phone calls and text messages from a certain Christian television network. 
that is very interested in Sunshine USA being broadcast on their network. Now, of course, this would be a tremendous expense financially. So, I mean, the Lord would clearly have to provide the finances for this. I don't believe in going into debt to do God's work. I believe that anything that I feel led of the Lord to do, either the Lord will provide the funds to do it when I need to do it, or else it'll be an indication to me that it's something that God does not want me to do. But, you know, I think it would be great to have a ministry that is available on TV and radio stations across America. In many cases, uh, some people live in parts of the world or parts of this country even where they don't have access to the Internet. And therefore, they have no direct access to Sunshine USA. But they do have access to radio and TV stations and uh, operations like that. And I want Sunshine USA to be present for that type of a ministry. But of course, we need financial support from God's people in order to do that and make that happen. We can't do it automatically. <laughs> so I'm just sharing with you from my heart some of the things that I feel like the Lord <laughs> might want me to do. I think it might be possible one day that the Lord wants me to write some novels, some of which may be turned into movies or TV series, as an additional way of getting out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a, a burden in my heart for homeless people. In fact, I personally know some homeless people. And it breaks my heart that I don't have more ability on my own to help them. And so I see maybe Sunshine USA in the future being used of the Lord to provide housing for the homeless, medical care for the homeless. But all of this involves God's people rolling up their sleeves and doing whatever they can to financially help this ministry. We want to grow and expand, but only to the extent that God wants us to do it. And as I say before, this ministry will not go into debt to do the will of God. Because we believe it's the will of God to provide whatever we need when we need it. Amen? Amen. Now, if you have any Bible study questions or if you have uh, any prayer requests, I would love to hear about them. And once again, the best way to let me know about all this is by email. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, those of you that want to contact me by uh, snail mail, the old-fashioned, old-school way, you can do that. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 
80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, that's apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And uh, I would love to hear from you. And if you're writing me snail mail especially, you might want to pray and see whether or not the Lord would lay it on your heart to make a financial contribution to this ministry. Let me point out once again, I get no salary whatsoever doing this radio broadcast. I never have, never will. I do it only for one reason. I love God and I love you. It is a labor of love. A labor of love. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this particular edition of Sunshine USA. I hope that you will tell other people about it. Because chances are, if you love studying the Bible on Sunshine USA, you know somebody else that would also get a blessing out of studying the Bible here on Sunshine USA. Until then, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye and God bless you. And guess what? Don't fret, don't fear, because I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.